She is the incredible porn superstar all the way in New York City. Let's get her on the line, everyone. Our erotic authoritarian, the beautiful Stoya. I immediately took to the genre because like I was always a big reader. Oh. That is my alarm telling me that it's time to be on a podcast call <laughs> with Lara Desiree. Um, we started early. <laughs> first, first Tuesday in November 2020. This is so on brand. Right. <laughs> Some erotic works I find completely off-putting. Um, others I find fascinating but not arousing. Um, and others are just like so silly and wonderful and like joyfully present sex in a way that I feel is missing from mainstream depictions of sexuality a lot of the time. Like on like a TV show, like sex is so serious and there's rose petals and we're going to lay you down on the mattress with yeah. your hair laid out on the pillow. It's such a relief when you realize that goofy sex is represented because that's the bulk of at least my sexual experience is that I'm a goofy person. It's not as masterfully pulled off as the kind of shit you'd see in movies. So I agree with you. It's a huge relief and it's a beautiful thing. I was literally on the phone with my best friend this morning debating um, pubic hair. And he was like, well, you know, let me tell you like in the locker room, like how this got talked about. And they were like, you know, it gets in my teeth. And I was like, okay, look, like one, are you like actually, did, did carpet munching like give you the wrong impression? You're like, like, is that how you're getting pubic hair in your teeth? Cause that's like, I've flossed. I've flossed before. It's kind of hard to get the thing up in there. <laughs> um, but it was like, you know, but also like, look, you get hair in your mouth. Like if you're me, you're like, hold on. I just got to. <laughs> Great. And right back to celebrate it. it. Or, yeah. You celebrate it like, for whatever. a minute. You're like, I found it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that level of detail has become something that I value so much in the erotica that I enjoy to read. I require a full sensory experience. I want to know what it looks, feels, smells, tastes like. Uh, and that can be any you know, situation going on, whether it is just the flirting of two characters or it is you know, the hardcore sex itself. I require a level of detail. What do you say you require out of your erotica for it to be effective? I, man, I require weird somehow. Yeah. Like there's, there's gotta be something quirky. Like I would much, I would much rather read something about an act like so like I wore ballet boots the other day for a shoot I saw the and what I thank you um would you would I ever wear them again probably not because you like literally can't even stand in them really um the shape is not like a point shoe anyway um but like would I would I love to read a story written from the perspective of someone who really gets off on wearing ballet boots and like broaden my understanding of what can be sexual in what kind of way. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, like vanilla missionary with rose petals can be super great, but I've, I've never met a story about vanilla missionary that I want to read. No. 
Do you actually masturbate to it, Stoya? Like, actually, like if you're reading? <laughs> like one hand in the book? I'm about to get so, I am about to get so weird. Uh, I lay on the mattress with like my elbows and my chest propped up on a pillow. And I read the book or I scroll on my cell phone, like however I'm reading it. And I like breathe, like, you know how they tell you to like breathe through your chest, down into your belly. I'm like, no, go past your belly, down to your pelvic floor, feel that expand, do a nice little Kegel squeeze. Yeah. Like it's this like porn story meditation edging <laughs> kind of like, I don't know. And then I take notes. Um, you know, depending, depending on how much I like the book, frankly, um, I take notes on like, okay, I want to talk about this. Okay. I want to talk about this. Like, okay, if it's dead space, we'll talk about this. And the more aroused you are, the less disgusted you are. And then let's say you have an orgasm and you're done. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh God, what have I done? Mm -hmm. um, so I think part of it is if we're not aroused, then hearing someone else be overtly sexual can be very uncomfortable. And whether that's something we want to go towards and say, let me expose myself to more of this and become more comfortable with discussing sexuality in a group environment with the lights on, broad daylight, that kind of thing. Um, or we can say like, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's a thing that for this person is like, super private and so like it's better for them not to the one time somewhat notoriously i had to shout over a man um excuse me there's a woman talking because someone had actually like literally asked they said i would love to hear a female perspective on this particular facet of this book mm -hmm. and nobody felt comfortable putting their hands up. So I was like, okay, I'll tackle this. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. And the guy started talking over me and I was like, I'm, I'm talking. And he kept going, I was like, sir, there is a woman talking. And he like, shut up then. We, we don't talk about men in erotica and, and fans of erotica. I just, I don't hear enough about men's relationship to erotic literature. So is there anything that you've, you've experienced that would stand out about how they experience erotica? I wish more would read it. I really do. So, um, I'd say at least half of our attendees are men. And you know, we have, we have like, of course, like a few non-binary people. There was one person who told me that they were intersex. Um, and like, obviously like I, I wouldn't know if someone doesn't tell me, um, but like one person we know who's intersex, um, and then the rest are women, but a lot, a lot of single men show up or a lot of men show up solo. Um, and they, they largely behave well. We've had a couple where we've had to like, over the years, kind of nudge them towards taking up less space. Um, but most of them have responded really well to that. And like, if they start to ramble, they will stop themselves. Um, and it's, it's heartwarming. So, vocabulary, uh, erotica famously uses a million different words for the vagina. Do you have a favorite of all of them? 
So there's this book, um, When Sisterhood Was in Flower by Florence King. And the main character is this Southern in the 70s writer who's turned to writing romance novels, like just churning out romance novels. And at one point, she types the phrase, oleaginous mound her oleaginous mound and i just loved that so much what is oleaginous it's like a like a slippery yeah um buttery would be oleaginous and then one day one day i was squatting over a mirror in the sunshine on clayton cubit's roof and i could see my my spread open pussy hole and it had been a really long time since I'd seen my spread open pussy hole and I'd never seen it with direct sunlight. Um, and I could just see, I could just see the lubrication gathering on the, on the top part. And I thought my oleaginous mound. <laughs> it sounds like a, a total sea creature and I love it. Like a beautiful underwater flower. That's a that's an intense term for it. I was gonna say cunt is such a I love cunt. Uh, it's just it's a fun word to I say. I also love cunt. I love cunt so much. Um, I'm not a fan. I think it's I think it's really cute. Yeah. When guys when guys are like, what what word do you prefer? Because oh, no. I I don't want to use the wrong one. <laughs> and it's like aw. <laughs> You can it's say like cunt, cunt, and they're like, can I? <laughs> like, no, like, I, I'm actually requesting it. <laughs> yeah, it's such a thrill to be able to, to really, like, freely unleash that word from your, your chest. Cunt. It sounds good. It's a, it's cunt. Yes, it just, cunt. it thrusts at you. It skull fucks you as you hear it. Um, I had to get down and dirty with this one. I called upon my favorite political commentator. You may know the fabulous guest today as one of the most decorative, flamboyant, and absolutely fabulous people in the media today. But Lady Bunny happens to also be a very passionate and well-versed political speaker. If they don't hurry up and call this, Joe Biden's going to forget what he was running for. And that made people so angry. And I'm, I'm like, people, he won. I mean, this may be why, uh, part of why the Democrats lost seats in the House. Their message is not resonating. And like 82% or something trusted Trump more on the economy, the Democrats do not have a solid message. What is their solid message? Um, you know, we are going to bring back the decorum. Uh -huh. Honey, does decorum put food on your fucking table? We, just because we are, are into different gender variations, I'm sitting here, you know, in drag myself, you know, a strong supporter of trans people and any gay people, whatever. Just, you can support all of those without bashing straight men as cisgendered privileged assholes who are always in the wrong. I'm sick of it. No. He's a legend in the independent film world and more specifically in queer cinema. So this is the great Bruce LaBruce, everyone, talking about presenting sexuality on the big screen. Well, you've composed this legacy of such sophisticated smut. So Bruce, what would be 
your first experience with pornography and how did that impact you? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, my whole philosophy of pornography, if you will, um, has to do with, um, you know, starting out making um, sexually explicit art films that I didn't even consider to be pornography at the time, like in the in the late 80s and early 90s. So it was a sensibility that was more maybe more in tune with, you know, 70s porn, which was high, highly narrative and uh, aesthetic, and it was made by filmmakers. So it was important for me to have like character and plot and and be aesthetic as well. And um, because narrative really, it's sad that narrative has become sort of so vestigial because it's really, it's foreplay, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. the, uh, it's, it, it, what's, it, it, it builds up your, your, your yeah. sexual appetite and curiosity, you know, your fantasy, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to just cutting right to the chase and, you know, wham, bam. You play between these realms of uh, the North American market who loves you. You're obviously based here in Toronto, but you're also huge in Europe. I mean, obviously I can imagine what the difference is in reaction in both markets, but are there any details that, you know, make you laugh a little bit? Like, have you heard any reactions in the room if you screen something in Berlin versus here in Canada? Um, well, I also have, you know, quite a cult following in South America and um, and elsewhere like my films uh, I, I've one of my best friends is Russian and he he says that you know my films have always been huge uh, a bootleg in uh, in Russia oh, man. Oh, so, man. and well I mean uh, the only time I've been to Russia was when I made probably my craziest film which is LA zombie and um, you know, which is about a alien zombie who comes, who finds dead bodies all over LA and fucks them back to life. It's amazing, but, by the way. Yeah, with Francois Sagat. And um, so I don't know whether it, it was just a weird timing. I don't know if I was just being super naive or it was also a little kind of lull, but I took and showed LA Zombie in Kiev and Moscow uh, at, at, at not a, and at, at non-gay film festivals, mm -hmm. they, they didn't have gay festivals. And um, so basically, I, this was the software version, but it was still like crazy. It was like this guy with a big fake alien dick, you know, <laughs> with a Scorpio stinger on the end of it that squirts like uh, black squid ink, you know. Um, and in the opening scene, he there's a car accident and. It, there's a man die, who dies on the road with his chest split open and he starts fucking his, uh, rubbing his alien dick against his heart and uh, fucking it and it starts pumping again. You know, I mean, it's, it's way out there. It's a Gorn. And um, this was like- Did you just call it Gorn? Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that's, that's an actual genre, yeah, Gorn. Yeah. And, um, this was just before, you know, Putin passed that law that you can't promote homosexuality and there was a new wave of, of um, homophobia in, in Russia. So I did this masterclass and I showed all clips from all of my movies, including like hardcore gay porn scenes and everything. And, I, you know, I knew the atmosphere was a bit 
strange, but I mean, I literally could have been, you know, I could have been um, assassinated. Well, assassinated, or or I could have been conveniently uh, mis displa misplaced, or you know, whatever. Disappeared. Right. They would be. They'd be slick about it. Yeah. Yeah. I could be on a, on a gulag somewhere. So, <laughs> but in Poland, you know, in the late '90s, I showed. Uh, I had, when I went to show my films with Jurgen in Poland, we had to show them and meet in attics and basements. It was still so underground. Re and, this is a recent thing. In the late '90s, late '90s, yeah. Oh God. And then ten years later, World Pride was held in Warsaw. Wow. So within ten years, it had gone from illegal and you could don't, don't even talk about it because you might get arrested yeah. to like world pride and then now 10 years later it's almost back to where it was before yeah. my friend my polish friends are saying you know that it's regressed so bad that homophobia is horrible there people are afraid to even like be publicly showed uh you know well the 70s were you know people also forget we were talking about the sexual revolution actually mm. happened in in, in the West, like in the States, especially uh, and Canada, like, and there was all these famous films where people had unsimulated or reputedly had unsimulated yeah. sex, like in The fa the Sailor Who Fell From Grace with the Sea with Chris Christopherson and Sarah Miles and and Don't Look Now with Julie Christie and Donald oh, Sutherland, yes. where they, um, it's rumored that they actually had sex, but they kind of cut around it. You're a massage therapist at an underground spa in the Lower East Side, and you're giving a foot massage too. The, f um, <laughs> the foot. Um, um, okay. How about um, oh, like um, Tom Hardy? <laughs> you can have him. <laughs> Today I'm chatting with the chief conspirator of my favorite members only club in New York City called NSFW. Daniel, who sits as the chief conspirator of the project, is going to be on the line with us to talk all about how they're handling this pandemic and keeping sex lives alive. Well, NSFW is a new society for wellness where a private members club in New York that focuses on kind of sex and cannabis. And we try to provide people a safe sex positive space to explore, to discover, to meet new partners, to you know discover new kinks, to discover new fetishes, to explore Tantra, all these things in sex. It's really kind of a adult playground. It's a, a place for you to learn about these things and enjoy these things and, you know, try new things. How did you get looped into this are you part of the original like creative team on this i don't i actually don't know um no i actually created the company about five years ago oh, wow. um it was a time where i was looking for a community myself you know i had recently had come out as bisexual and realized that that was something that i wanted in my life to have those type of connections and i would go to gay spaces and straight spaces and really didn't find anything that kind of brought my two worlds together so nsfw in many ways was just have a way to create that and give that to more people. We're literally going through some of the most popular things that we've taught here at the clubhouse and making yeah. it available to a wider audience on Camp 4. Uh, and the partnership has been great. The shows themselves are shoppable. We have like a partnership with Extreme Restraints. So everything that you're seeing that are being used, everything can be purchased. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's been really, really fun. It's like, it's kind of bringing, you know, that sex positivity, that message of, you know, you should be pursuing 
a better sex life and sexual health should be a higher priority in your life because it's yeah. not there. It's taking that and making it available to a much wider audience who can get it for free on Camp 4, can you know, tune in at NSFW Live on Camp 4 and kind of get these little, I don't know, it's still a little peek into the clubhouse that yeah. a lot of people can't access. And we've always been wanting to give them more access and, and make that available out there. So Camp 4 gave us the opportunity and yeah, we've loved it so far. <laughs> we I mean, have, uh, online classes are a thing now. So obviously this kind of a class should also be available. How did you decide what uh, specific lessons or what's on the curriculum, like female anal play or whether it's rope tying, like how did you decide what that program was gonna look like? A lot of it comes from the membership and things that they're asking for. Um, when we first you know, kind of came into the pandemic, we took all our classes and we, we asked the members, like, what should we provide you? Um, and a lot of them voted on stuff. Um, some of it is based off of what masters we still have in New York, because these episodes are filmed here in the clubhouse, so we need people who are nearby. So a lot of people left. People want people to be safe. People want people to be healthy. I think that, you know, with COVID and, you know, the lockdowns and the things that we have kind of had to experience, you know, those things help reduce the dangers of COVID, but ignore the dangers of loneliness, ignore the dangers of lockdown isolation. And when we start looking at those dangers, especially as to how they apply to, you know, kind of our core membership, which is mostly millennial, we're looking at higher rates of, you know, depression, higher rates of anxiety, uh, less of a, a, a trust that the future is going to be positive and good. Um, heading into Christmas, we're looking at a time where a lot of LGBT members of our community are dealing with broken families and, and not being able to reconnect in that way. Um, solo members are kind of dealing with this isolation alone and not really sure how to kind of move forward. And I think just hearing their stories as this was happening and those fears and just knowing that that's just gonna amplify things like suicide, things like alcoholism, things like drug abuse, things like depression and, and other things that have lasting effects. Um, I don't know, I, I feel like we, we ignore the real problems that are coming from this that we we aren't really fully understanding and, and how dangerous that is specifically to millennials and to people who need yeah. connection. We are social beings, we need that connection. So um, for me, the mental health aspect personally, like I feel those things, I feel those ways. And knowing that I have a place to go to or community or you know a space that feels safe or at home or where I feel connected, like helps me get through that. You know, even if it's one day that I choose to do that, it's at least that one little thing that I need to keep going uh, in a lot of ways. So um, for me, it was definitely something personal, just dealing with my own you know, issues with depression and, and stress in the past. Um, for the membership, it's more feeling that pain, you know, feel, being empathetic to that pain and to that isolation and to what that means long-term for a lot of us. Yeah. You know, not everyone's ready to put their lives on pause and just wait two years. You know, there has to be this kind of bounce and, I think the mental health issue is the one thing that is most impactful for me. So it's mm. the one I'm most concerned about because yeah, I would never want to see someone lost in this, not because of COVID, but because of the other effects that we don't really pay attention to or, or think about. Like I, I went through a breakup and I was dealing with like, you know, friendships that were feeling very strained and it was just a lot of things that hit me all at once. Yeah. Um, you know, at the same time, like, you know, my, I, half my family is Jehovah witness and very, very, about and sees the coronavirus as a sign of the end and oh. think like the end of the world is here and like they're preparing so you know they're not talking to me because yeah. i'm like you're the worst person <laughs> possible and it's like wow. i have this disconnection from family there and then on the other side of my family it's all police officers 
and they're all major Trump supporters. And, you know, they're not seeing systematic racism as it impacts their own family and, and people who are their own color. And they're not seeing that. And it was just like this divide. So it was like, you know, personal relationships were strained, friendships were strained, family was strained. And all the while, like, my community was there. You know, all the while, these people who I, were strangers before yeah. and, you know, are just, just, <laughs> hey, you want to come to my house and fuck? You know, like, it's yeah. very <laughs> strange to, like, call it, you know, feel it's a community. But it's like this, I, this, this community was there. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree. And today's special guest is a true sex work superhero. She has this unique knack for acing a comedic spin on the daily challenges and triumphs of sex workers around the world, all stemming from her own unique insight, her own legacy in the business. Today, I'm chatting with the incredible Jacqueline Francis, aka Jack the Stripper. So uh, if I have my facts correct, one year ago, November 2019, you declared retirement from stripping. Oh my God, was it a year ago? Yeah. One year ago. So in this one year, which has been one fuck of a weird one and a heavy one, what comes to mind about the things you missed the most about that time in your life? About stripping or about like announcing retirement? About stripping. Stripping. Uh, so much. I miss um, sitting on strangers' laps, getting them to give me money. I miss cash. Yeah. I miss being on stage. Um, I miss playing dress up. Yeah. Yeah. And I still get to play dress up. That's not really like, I just get super stoned and do weird makeup all the time. I'm loving that. But I miss so much of stripping, but a lot of us have had to move on from it reluctantly. Not just me when I retired. A lot of people have had to. So I think the best thing that I can do for myself, honestly, is really just keep keep going with everything else that I'm doing. Because there's so much you can do with the skills that we have. Mm. And nobody's really reassured us that, that was possible or that we could do other that we could take our skills from stripping and, and they're transferable elsewhere. So I'm kind of jazzed about how COVID has really just thrust me to move on. Yeah, where am I channeling all of my slut energy? Like I'm masturbating profusely, personally. <laughs> totally. I, I actually have had an interesting, complete pullback from wanting to be a slut, which has never happened before in my life. Like even before I came as became a stripper, I was definitely pretty slutty. But lately, I'm actually just really enjoying not being looked at and not feeling like I have to be slutty. Uh, I think a huge part of my sexuality is like my environment and interacting with new people. So I'm not even inspired to be a slut right now. I think my slut dumb is dormant and it needed to rest because I was milking it so hard for mm. a decade. So I'm actually just not even channeling my slut energy right now. I'm wearing a lot of cozy pants. I'm just kind of indulging in self-care and just trying my best to take care of myself because when the time comes for me to be a slut again and there's a vaccine and it's safe, like watch out. Right. I don't so know what's going to happen. I'm going to be out there. Reservoir. Yeah. You're keeping it locked and loaded, ready to rock when that time comes. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm going to be ready. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be ready, but I'm really enjoying the break from like not having to wear heels or a G string. Cause like, you know, apparently like my back's all fucked up. I'm old now. And well, There's certain things have a time to heal now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Parts yeah. of the body. So, 
Yeah. So my sweat energy, she's just, she's napping. My favorite drawing of yours is the waiting for the fart to dissipate. <sighs> so real. It's so real. I'm a very gaseous person. So Me too. <laughs> like, oh, it's the worst. I've like, I've, I've kind of reconciled it, but like, not really. Like I, I always try to figure out what it is and it's just everything. But I don't hate it. Oh, I don't, if I'm I alone, if I'm alone, it's great. I don't mind it, you know? I don't alone, but I'm not, like, confident to be like, oh, look at this one. Look at this one coming. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I was that bitch. Like, I really wish that I was that. Like, I do have limits to how brave and confident I can be. Like, I wish I was so proud of my farts. But, like, you know, it, I'm trying to really help destigmatize sex work to onlookers who are curious, who don't yeah. really feel like reading a book. They just want to look at a bunch of pictures i can help you i understand that people are lazy and don't want to read so that's why i make pictures yeah, it's a picture book <laughs> it's known fact that sex and greed go hand in hand in this fast-paced world that we live in today we're chatting with kristen davis the manhattan madam and i started in finance when i was 18 as a trading assistant and I worked for these guys in San Francisco who were like the Wolf of Wall Street of San Francisco. And it was, um, you know, some sex, drugs, um, a lot of money. And at some point they um, asked me to book them girls. They made a lot of money. And this is, you know, some 20 years ago. And the way that we did it was different. I had fax and email and different things. And uh, it just became sort of the norm when we made a lot of money. Um, they would go to Vegas, they would go to strip clubs, and I would see the bills come in, I would be asked to help them. And so I sort of equated that with success. I opened an agency and I did it all wrong uh, for New York standards because I didn't really understand, I'm from California, I didn't understand the different taste in women. And New Yorkers are very like tall, leggy, flat-chested model types, and it's the exact opposite from what I grew up with thinking was the epitome of gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And so I started this agency kind of like by California sort of standards, and I wasn't making any money, and I met somebody who did my phones, and she's like, listen, you're doing everything wrong, redo everything, and then it just took off. He used to just change his names, <laughs> and he would call from pay phones, right? And I remember having a few conversations with him, like, listen, you're not passing my screening test. Who the hell are you? Right. And we would go back and forth. And sometimes I wouldn't give him an appointment. And then sometimes he would be like, listen, I'm using a different name. I've been there before. And he would describe my the, one of the apartments. Yeah. And we would go back and forth until I felt comfortable. I didn't really have any theft or abuse of women because I know where you live. I know where you work. I have all your information. If you're gonna do something to us, I will 100% be at the president of your company's work tomorrow talking about you with the girl you've abused or with whatever. So by screening them so well and keeping their information, um, th those things just didn't happen. I How do you survive that contrast from the high glamor, high rolling life to Rikers to now? You know, that's actually what my probation had me monitored so strictly because they couldn't understand how I could forfeit all my money and not go back and commit a crime. And I'm like, because you scared the shit out of me in Rikers Island. That's how. I don't want to. Um, the, sad, the more sad part for me was when I came out, I was like, well, maybe I can go back into finance. I have a specialty mm -hmm. background. 
if I was a man, I could have went back into finance and Goldman Sachs probably would have given me a high five for doing what I did, but no one would hire me. Um, people would meet me. The presidents of like Deutsche Bank met me and is like, listen, you're brilliant. I need you. I'm going to try to get you in as a temp so they won't do a background check. Yeah. Even he's like, I can't do it. I, they're, they're not going to let Seriously, me. Seriously, like, all these, all these motherfuckers that right. were in touch with you. Right. Half of your staff is on my client list and you guys, I can't give me a job. I mean, fabulous. Kristen, thank you so, so much. This, this was wonderful. So and uh, I wish I was in Florida. What can I say? <laughs> it's right. so cold here. Okay. <laughs> Take care of thank yourself. You. All right.